This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. All right, what is going on, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking through four nutrition strategies for faster fat loss without cutting calories. Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought fat loss was all about calorie deficits. How could I lose weight without decreasing calories? Now, I'm guessing as a listener of this podcast, you already have a good understanding of the concept of energy balance, meaning you know that calories in greater than calories out typically equals weight gain. Calories in less than calories out equals weight loss. Now, the thing here to understand is that when we think of the energy balance equation, we tend to think of calories in as strictly the food we eat and calories out as strictly what we burn through through movement. But the reality is energy balance is much more complex than that. In actuality, there are a lot of variables we can adjust on the calories inside of the equation that will increase calories out leading to quicker fat loss without actually decreasing the total number of calories you eat. Now, a crazy common problem I see as a nutrition coach is people are too quick to slash calories constantly lower and lower. And as a result, your gym performance and your muscle mass and honestly adherence really take a hit. Now, will you lose weight like this? Absolutely. Will you look as lean and strong as you want? or even be able to sustain your weight loss? Uh, Not likely. Now, if you listen to the rapid fat loss episode that I posted last week, um, I think last week, yes, you'll know I am often a fan of aggressive fat loss. But what I'm saying here is constantly slashing calories, slashing calories, slashing calories for many people unnecessarily without looking at these variables that will help you achieve your best body composition can lead to us arriving at the end goal without the aesthetics that you want to achieve in the process. So basically you won't build or you'll lose muscle in the process or again in the situation of constantly slashing calories lower and lower and lower for many people it just hurts adherence now again we can get pretty damn aggressive with deficits like i talked about in the rapid fat loss episode often 20 to 25 percent below maintenance calories but again if we're working with an individual where constantly pushing calories lower just isn't something they can realistically sustain and that should never be the goal Uh, They constantly push calories lower. But if this is creating massive adherence issues, again, they won't achieve the outcomes they want. So we need to take other factors than just calories into consideration. And this is why as coaches, we do so much more than just adjust your calories. My goal isn't just to get online clients to a certain body fat percentage. It's to get them there with as much lean muscle mass as possible, feeling great, and with the knowledge to sustain their results. So if you want the same, then... This episode is for you. Here are my four favorite nutrition strategies to implement with online clients for faster fat loss without cutting calories. So number one, eat a larger larger percentage of total calories from protein. So if you're lifting weights, a solid recommendation for protein intake is anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight daily. And occasionally with clients, we'll bump that all the way up to around 1.5 
1.5 grams per pound of body weight. If you're trying to lose fat and not eating in this range, there's like this is very likely the low-hanging fruit that will speed up your results. See, protein has the highest thermic effect of all the macronutrients. So when you eat any food, it takes energy for your body to digest this said food. So that energy or calories burned during digestion is what we call the thermic effect of food or TEF. Now the amount of calories or TEF you burn during digestion very much depends on the macronutrients you eat. So with protein, an average of 20 to 35% of the calories you consume are burned off during digestion. With carbs, it's about 5 to 15%, and with fats, it's about 0 to 5%. So when you eat protein, a big chunk of the calories you take in are actually burned off during digestion, quite a bit more than carbs and a lot more than fats, as you gathered. So by keeping calories the same, but increasing protein, you're actually going to be burning more calories every single day. So let's say you are a 200 pound man. Um, if you're currently eating 2000 calories and 100 grams of protein, if we keep you at 2000 calories, but increase that to 200 grams of protein, you're burning a decent amount more calories across a day and a good bit more across a week. Not an insane difference, like not across the course of a day, a thousand calorie difference or anything like that, but it does add up over the course of months and months and months. Plus, we also have to, have to we also have to account for the fact that you'll be less hungry. Lean protein is the most filling food, aside from I always say lean protein is the most filling foods. But actually, if we look at the satiety index, it's like potatoes. <laughs> potatoes are crazy filling. Lean protein sources, and then other fibrous carb sources. Um, which is why the potato diet is like a thing. But not recommending the potato diet by any means. But anyways. You'll be less hungry by eating more protein, which straight up is just going to help adherence a lot. Taking it back to this idea we talk about a lot on this podcast of auto-regulating your appetite. Now, there's a weird amount of fear around high protein, but the reality is you can eat a ton of protein with no need to worry. If it won't give you cancer or ruin your kidneys or anything of the sort, given you don't have any pre-existing kidney issues. So the one like... um this is a medical advice, but the one um, ca- caveat here, caveat, caveat, I'm not sure how you pronounce that word, is um, if you do have kidney issues, then of course you want to consult your doctor about your protein intake. But um, there's, for example, there's, and Jose, Jose Antonio has done a lot of studies on this, but to cite one specifically, a 2016 study titled A High-Protein Diet Has No Harmful Effects, a one-year crossover study in resistance-trained males. So in this study, the subjects ate 1.5 grams per pound of body weight daily for a year. And the results were, and this is straight from the study, a diet high in protein had no harmful effects on any measures of health. Furthermore, there was no change in body weight, fat mass, or lean body mass, despite eating more total calories and protein. So did you catch the last sentence there? Not only are you probably good to eat a lot more protein, but it also seems protein is much less likely to be stored as body fat than fat or carbs, even if you're eating more calories due to increased protein. So another study, a 2015 study, took 48 randomized resistance-trained men and women and had them consume a minimum of 1.36 grams per pound of body weight of protein 
or to maintain their current dietary habits for eight weeks. So they split them into two groups, one ate high protein, one just maintained their current dietary habits. Well, both were undergoing a standardized resistance training program designed to help them build lean muscle. So the results, and again, this is pulled straight from the study. Compared to the control group, the high protein group consumed significantly more calories, 490 more calories, and protein, so 3.4 versus 2.3 grams per kilogram, from primarily whey protein shakes, leading to a diet that was 39% protein, 27% fat, and 34% carb. Both groups significantly increased fat-free mass, aka muscle mass, and significantly reduced fat mass, aka body fat, compared to the baseline. But the reduction in fat mass was significantly greater in the high protein group compared to the control group. So the high protein group lost approximately 1.6 kilograms versus 0.3 kilograms in the control group. Accordingly, body weight gain was also significantly less in the high protein group compared to the control group. So essentially, the high protein group ate 490 calories more than the lower protein group and lost more fat. Now, when you're eating a maintenance calories or in a slight surplus, you don't need as much protein to get all the muscle building benefits. That said, I think with the above knowledge, it still makes sense to keep protein a bit higher. I always like to keep it around at least one gram for my clients, even in a bulking phase. But when you enter a calorie deficit, your protein needs increase. So again, this one to 1.5 grams per pound of body weight mark is smart. If you're concerned about hanging on to as much muscle as possible, taking advantage of this higher thermic effect of food. And again, it does seem that it is less likely that protein will be stored as fat. So if you're in a surplus, but a large percentage of your calories are coming from protein, it's less likely, I, it's safe to say that it's less likely that you'll gain as much fat as if you were eating a smaller percentage of protein and more carbs and fat. All right, strategy number two, eat more carbs and a bit less fat. Now, you've likely heard that you need to cut carbs to lose fat. That said, I think that most people that listen to this podcast are probably past that line of thinking. Um, but the reality is carbs have been unfairly demonized over the last decade, whereas eating more healthy fats has been pushed hard. Now, as a result, most who are semi-health conscious tend to eat a higher fat, lower carb diet. And really, I think that the paleo movement is the paleo movement is in a large part responsible for this. Now, eating enough fat is very important. There's a minimum intake of fat you need to hit in order to prevent fatty acid deficiencies, have proper hormonal function and production. And I really like to call this the fat threshold. So for most people, the fat threshold is around 0.3 to 0.4 grams of fat per pound of body weight daily. Most need to eat about this much fat to feel good and be healthy. Granted, sometimes we'll dip clients below this. For example, if a client is getting ready for a photo shoot, there's often times where we just have to push below this point. But if we live there year round, your health is gonna take a hit. But on the flip side, past this point, more fat doesn't really add any benefit to your hormones, training performance, or recovery. So if you're eating a lot of fat and very little carbs, a good fat loss strategy for many is simply switching to a higher protein and carb, lower fat approach. First, 
you probably notice the cards have a slightly higher thermic effect than fats. Now, again, this is when we're talking about, okay, fats have a zero to 5% thermic effect. Carbs have a five to 15% effect. We're essentially splitting hairs here, but the main argument for a higher carb, lower fat diet is when it comes to building your best body composition. So the reality here is in this situation, if you're someone that just wants to lose weight, you don't care that much about adding lean muscle to your frame. Basically, you're not chasing a body recomposition. You are strictly chasing weight loss. The ratio of your carbs to fat isn't going to matter that much. But if we are looking to optimize everything possible for a body recomposition, so building as or maintaining as much muscle as possible and losing fat, it typically makes sense to go a bit higher carb. If we understand the energy systems, then you'll understand that extra carbs will boost your training performance, they'll speed up recovery, and they'll help spare more protein because carbs are your body's per preferred fuel source especially when we're talking again about energy systems and that lactic system so once our body runs out of phosphate creatine but we still need inner we still need fuel to um perform the remainder of a set of let's say 12 on a back squat and let's say this set takes you 40 seconds to complete the first 10 to 15 seconds you're depleting your phosphate creatine stores so those are um, what's fueling your performance, then your body switches over from your anaerobic alactic energy system to your anaerobic lactic system, where carbs are the primary fuel source. So if those carbs aren't available, then your training performance is going to take a bit of a hit. So long term, over the course of months, I would argue that this can often account or add up to the ability to build less muscle and train less intensely burning fewer calories so for people that want to build their leanest strongest bodies this is why i am generally a fan of and again want to do everything to optimize both training and fat loss this is why i'm generally a fan of a higher carb lower fat approach that said like all things within nutrition it does depend on the individual i've worked with a few clients that just straight up feel better on a higher fat approach so none of this is set in stone, but for the most part, I've found that online clients generally will do better with a higher carb, higher protein, and a bit lower fat approach in a body recomposition scenario. All right. Oh, and then finally, fibrous carbs are the second most satiating food per calorie next to lean protein. And this is something Rob Wolf talks about a lot in his book, Wired to Eat. If you're a nutrition coach or you're just someone that wants to learn more about nutrition, great book it's kind of like a <laughs> i know i was just talking about paleo pushing like the higher fat but it's kind of like a smarter approach to a more ancestral way of eating super interesting book but just like we talked about with protein if you are basing your diet around these very satiating foods you're a lot less likely to overeat all right strategy number three is to eat most of your carbs or eat a large amount of your carbs around your workout so your insulin sensitivity is highest post-workout. So basically, this is when your body will most efficiently partition the carbs you eat towards building muscle. If you know that eating most of your carbs at a specific time increases the odds that they'll be shuttled to muscle building, then why not take advantage of it? Now, again, your body doesn't preferentially store carbs as fat, and calories are king, but eating most of your carbs around your workout stacks the odds 
even more in your favor that they will be used to build muscle. Similarly, intense training triggers a stress response. Cortisol rises and your nervous system enters a fight or flight mode. In this state, processes crucial to your recovery and fat loss are slowed or essentially stopped. So obviously to optimize recovery and fat loss, you want to get out of fight or fight fight or flight mode as fast as possible post-workout and into rest and digest mode. Here, your body focuses on nutrient absorption, repairing damaged tissues, etc. Now, carbs help decrease cortisol levels because they spike insulin levels. So consuming carbs post-workout will help you enter a more anabolic environment and one more conducive to fat loss. Now, regardless, um, there's a lot of fear out there around spiking insulin. And honestly, that's something that I have talked about on the podcast a bit. I should do a whole episode around that. But insulin in insulin spikes in and of themselves don't create fat gain. And similarly here, like we're talking about this with insulin sensitivity, basically it's going to help your training performance. But regardless if you're not eating in a surplus, um, I'm not saying that because these carbs are going to be more fueled to- or more shuttled towards building muscle, um, that it's less likely that it'll be stored as fat. Because regardless, we're like we're eating in a deficit, we're taking in fewer calories than we're burning. So regardless, that's not going to be the case. But it does make sense here that if they are more likely to be shuttled towards muscle, then we will gain more muscle in the fat loss process. And if we have more muscle, even if fat didn't decrease, simply the fact that we've added more muscle decreases our overall body fat percentage. <laughs> Hopefully everybody's with me on that so far. So basically, it's smart to, especially in a deficit, sandwich, higher carb, moderate protein, all, pretty much always across the course of the day, you want to spread your protein out relatively evenly. But sandwich your training sessions with higher carb, lower fat meals. I would say ideally eat one half to three fourths of your daily carb intake around the around your workout. And then naturally the other meals of the day will have to be lower carb, a bit higher fat. And strategy number four, focus on your circadian rhythm. So first and foremost, I have to give a lot of credit to Danny Lennon of Sigma Sigma Nutrition Radio. He's someone I've learned so much about the topic of circadian rhythm and chrononutrition from. So basically, your body has a body clock or multiple body clocks through your brain and various tissues and organs throughout your body. So when all of your clocks, so to speak, are in sync with the 24-hour day, or I believe it's actually slightly longer than a 24-hour day is how these sync up. But essentially, think of like all these clocks throughout your body, um, your brain, your organs being in sync with like light-dark cycles, your awake-sleep cycles, etc. Um, then you are in a state of circadian alignment. This is good. Hormones, sleep, digestion, they are all in a good place. That said, by exposing our bodies to different light exposure, um, traveling through time zones, or even eating at much different times than normal, we can create what we call circadian misalignment. Circadian misalignment. Basically, well, your circadian rhythm comes from within. So again, it comes from your brain and various tissues and organs throughout your body. If certain behaviors don't align with this endogenous rhythm, so think again like light exposure or mealtimes, things can get out of whack. 
Now, in a state of circadian misalignment, your brain's circadian clock is no longer synced up with your body's peripheral clocks. And this can potentially create some issues. For one, it disrupts body temperature and melatonin cycles, both of which are crucial to your wake sleep cycle. So in a state of circadian alignment, your body temperature is higher during the day and it dips at night. Melatonin, which is a hormone that tells your body that it's time to sleep and wake, works on an opposite schedule for healthy individuals, staying low during the day and rising at night. Now, disruption to these cycles obviously causes issues with sleep, leading to increased cravings for processed food, decreased energy expenditure, lower training performance, and increased cortisol, all which can hurt your fat loss. Next, circadian misalignment decreases leptin. So leptin is a hormone produced by your fat cells. Your leptin levels essentially determine how hungry you are and your energy expenditure. When leptin levels are higher, hunger stays low and you expend more energy. In a 2009 study titled Adverse Metabolic and Cardiovascular Consequences of Circadian Misalignment, the authors found that circadian misalignment can decrease leptin by up to 20%. Basically, this equates to you feeling more lethargic and burning fewer calories throughout the day, along with increased hunger. And like we talked about before, it increases cortisol. Um, the natural cortisol curve your body follows in circadian alignment has your cortisol levels highest first thing in the morning and decreasing throughout the day to have you ready for a night of deep sleep and recovery before another cortisol spike in the morning. But circadian misalignment essentially flips this curve on its head, which can very well mean too much cortisol, which can create some, can throw your hormones out of whack. Now, I honestly don't like to talk about hormones a ton on this podcast, simply because people often take it and run too far with it and blame it for all their problems when it's really often not the issue. So if you take something from this, don't let it be. Oh man, my high cortisol is the thing that's ruining my fat loss. Let it be. Okay, I need to focus on living a healthier lifestyle, um, getting my sleep, awake, and meal times in alignment. And that, in turn, will fix these hormones. Um, but, okay, that, that rant aside, it also is, this also is going to mean you're going to experience increased hunger, um, disturbed sleep, and a variety of other issues. Next, circadian misalignment increases blood sugar and insulin response after eating. So when in circadian misalignment, you have a much worse blood sugar response to a particular meal. The insulin response to handle glucose is also much higher which essentially means that you are more insulin resistant. Crazily enough, studies have shown that the blood sugar response to the exact same meal was much worse for people who woke up at 8 p.m., aka in a state of circadian misalignment, than those who woke up at 8 a.m. So the study of all these different like systems, and this isn't just prevalent in humans, but like fungi, different plants, so many things within our world, have this kind of rhythm to them, this time-based rhythm or cycle. The study of this is known as chronobiology. And specific to nutrition, this is known as chrononutrition. So I want to just dive into a couple things we know about chrononutrition and really how it relates back to your nutrition and your circadian rhythm. So 
First, post-meal energy expenditure seems to be higher in the morning, whereas calories burned during digestion can actually be up to 44% lower in the evening. Super, super interesting. So a 2014 study had one breakfast group eating 700 calories for breakfast versus another group skipping breakfast entirely. And after six weeks, there were no differences in body composition between the two groups, despite the breakfast group eating approximately 560 calories more daily. And this is due to the breakfast group experiencing increased physical activity expenditure and calories burned during digestion. So super, super interesting stuff. And honestly, when we're talking about this topic of chrononutrition, a lot of it isn't super clear yet. This is still very much a field that a lot of being a lot of research is being done on and is still again very new. But there have been studies that seem to show, like this one, that if you bias more of your calories towards the morning, you'll potentially be more active throughout the day and therefore burn more calories or be able to eat more food, depending on how you see it. Now this isn't at all me saying that eating at night makes you fat because it definitely still does come down to your ability to ability to control calories if you prefer to eat larger meals at night if that's just like how your family prefers to eat and you don't want to sacrifice that please don't try to (laughs) change this strictly because of like these few findings on chrononutrition again as long as you control overall calories you will get equal results again this is just another factor that could potentially influence like our adjusting our calories in that could potentially influence the calories out but again you still always have complete control over your calories in um, next, consistent meal times improve insulin sensitivity and calories burned during digestion. So a 2016 study compared two groups, one ate three main meals and three snacks daily for two weeks. The other group varied between three to nine meals every day for two weeks. And the results showed both a lower glucose response and an increased thermic effect of food in the group that had consistent meal times. And anecdotally, this is something that I've seen in clients over and over again, one of the most helpful things we can do is just get you on a consistent eating schedule. Even aside from this like chrononutrition debate, when you're eating consistently throughout the day, we basically train our hunger signals. But so basically, if we have a consistent meal schedule, we train our body to be hungry at these specific times, not as hungry through the rest of the day. But if your meal times constantly vary through the day, you're more likely to constantly be hungry through the day, which leads to more snacking throughout the day. Um, and again, that's a bit different conversation than what we're talking about here. But now, does any of this make or break your progress as far as this chrononutrition discussion? No, probably not. But it is something important to consider here when we're diving into this conversation of how can I create faster fat loss without decreasing my calories. But again, there are no magic hacks that will make getting lean crazy easy. The most important factor to building your leanest, strongest body ever is following a smart plan super consistently. If you need more help creating a structured nutrition and training program that's 100% tailored to you, hit the link in the show notes to apply for online coaching with me. All right, that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you for tuning in.